Hello everyone, welcome to our podcast Pediatric Research Updates presented by Shahad Ramtayri. How severe is pediatric COVID-19? Children may present commonly with fever and cough, ranging from asymptomatic to mild or moderate disease. However, the age group below one year may have higher incidence of vomiting in the critical disease. Why would they have less severe disease than adults? One possible reason might be that children are less likely to have underlying diseases, such as diabetes, hypertension, or cardiovascular disease. In addition to the above reason, the fact that innate immune response decline with age could also be important for the difference. What are the laboratory findings that may be shown in pediatric COVID-19 patients? Normal leukocyte in 70%, low lymphocyte in 16%, rate CKMP in 37%, Subgroup analysis further revealed that CKMP was elevated in nearly 88% in children under one year old. This result suggested that we should pay special attention to the myocardial damage in children, especially for those under one year old. What about radiographic studies? What may they show? CTSPN lack of specific COVID-19 features in children. Normal imaging occurred in 41% of pediatric patients. Ground glass appearance was the most common performance in children by 36% presenting lung abnormality, which mostly located in the lower lung, outer band, near the pleura, and the scope was small compared to adults. Is COVID-19 vaccine effective for children? The efficacy for the vaccine in children and adolescents was 100%. What are the most common adverse effects of the vaccine on children and adolescents? The most common adverse event in two RCTs was injection site pain. Besides that, fever, headache, and fatigue were also frequently reported. Most adverse events were not severe, no deaths were reported. A case series that included 13 patients with solid tumor also showed that mild to moderate injection site pain was the most frequent adverse event. A limited number of cases of myocarditis and pericarditis among the vaccinated children and adolescents were identified with the chest pain being present in all of them. What vaccines are the vaccines that work the best in children? To date, 22 COVID-19 vaccines have been approved throughout the world, more than a third of which are inactivated, and 138 vaccines are under development and exploration. More than 300 clinical trials of COVID-19 vaccine have been registered or published. Studies have shown that most of COVID-19 vaccines are safe and effective in adults aged more than 18 years old. Overall, in phase 2 and the 3 RCTs, mRNA and adenoviral vector-based COVID-19 vaccines had 94.6% and 80.2% efficacy, respectively, with a good acceptability and safety. Only two RCTs in children and adolescents have been published in peer-reviewed journals so far, both of which found that respective vaccine, PNT162P2 and Coronavac, are safe and effective. Institutions including WHO, FDA, and the Canadian Pediatric Society have already authorized emergency use of PNT162P2 in children and adolescents aged 12 years and above. European Medicine Agency has also approved the Spikesvax vaccine uh, for adolescents aged 12 to 17 years based on the evidence from ongoing study. Although these guidelines gave recommendations on vaccinating children or adolescents from perspective of Western countries, we still need to wait for more evidence from more countries and regions to better understand how COVID-19 vaccine work in different populations. 
With the more than 20 ongoing clinical trials, their finding may continue to offer clues uh, for better protecting younger generation from COVID-19. A new tubeless automated insulin pump, a study with a prospective single cohort multi-center design, a tubeless insulin pump with an embedded automated insulin delivery algorithm, Omniopod 5, an interoperable glucose sense sensor, and mobile app, two weeks of usual insulin regimen preceded by three months of automated insulin delivery. Main result was hemoglobin A1C was significantly reduced in children by 0.6%. Time and range improved by 3.7 hour per day in children. Time and hypoglycemia was not changed in children. Conclusion, the Omnibod 5 appears safe and demonstrated modest improvement in hemoglobin A1C and the time is a predefined to glucose range. The trial was designed for FDA approval and is soon to be commercially launched as insulin immunopod horizontal automated insulin dosing. This will be the fourth commercial system to the market, but it's different by virtue of the tubeless pump. But the glucose time and range was overnight and the greatest improvement were in participants with a poor baseline control. The shortest study duration limits the ability to detect rare events such as diabetic ketoacidosis or severe hypoglycemia, generally is unknown. The study participant had an excellent baseline glucose control. This aside, the commercial release will be provided by another option for personalized aid system choice. Tympanostomy tubes versus medical management for recurrent otitis. Among young children with a frequent acute otitis media infections, what is the therapeutic efficacy of tympanostomy tube replacement compared with episodic antibiotic treatment of acute otitis media infection in reducing the subsequent number of attacks? What are tympanostomy tubes? They are tiny cylinders, usually made of a plastic or metal, that are surgically inserted into the eardrum. A tympanostomy tube creates an airway that ventilates the middle ear and prevents accumulation of fluids behind the eardrum. An age-stratified RCT participants were 250 children with the three or more acute otitis media episodes in the last three months. Tympanostomy tube placement was either non-superior or superior to medical management. Compared tympanostomy tube placement with medical management for treatment of recurrent acute otitis media, a statically significant 15% lesser acute otitis media incidence in the tympanostomy tube group. Time to first uh, acute otitis media treatment failures, days with otitis related symptoms, and days of antimicrobial treatment, but not days where the tube otorrhea favored the tympanostomy tube group. Hearing and speech were not assessed, however, a previous study found no difference in speech or language development between children randomized to immediate versus delayed tube insertion. Continuing medical management as an option for children with recurrent acute otitis media should be counterbalanced with the risk of frequent acute otitis media necessitating tube replacement. This concludes our podcast. Thank you all for listening.